Hello, and welcome to the Magic for Realists podcast. This is the 29th dose, and it's called That's a Good Question. My name is Lindsay Celeste, and I'm making this podcast because I want to bring some more magic into the world, into the real world, into the world you can touch and walk around in, the world you normally inhabit in your kind of everyday life. And I'm making this podcast in particular. Oh, I think that might be too loud with this heating system on. Just a second. Let me turn this off. Uh, I'm making this particular podcast because I want to share with you some good questions that you could ask. Um, This is partly inspired by one of the Gentle Rebel podcasts from a few weeks back from my friend Andy, who some of you know, uh, who was talking about small talk and about how the purpose of small talk is to kind of build a bridge or a resonance between the two people, to kind of test out the waters and see almost like the tuning of an orchestra. And I thought this was a really beautiful discussion because sometimes small talk can seem like just a kind of, like like a fluff, like not important, but that actually in those first questions that we ask each other, Uh, when we're meeting somebody or even in the beginning of a conversation with an old friend that we are working to attune ourselves to each other. Um, So I want to talk about some questions that I think are not helpful to connection and some questions that I think are helpful and then you can use them and I, I hope that they are helpful. So one of the most common questions people ask each other, at least in Canada, where I live, uh, when they meet each other is, so what do you do? (laughs) And I hate this question. Um, What they mean, what people mean when they say, what do you do? Is, is what your work for money is. And I find this question problematic because one, it's incorrect. Like, what do you do? Should probably be answered with like, well, I eat and sleep and do all the other things that human bodies do, uh, but instead, it it's it's somehow like equating uh, what we do for money with as if that's like the the essence of our existence, which I think is a problematic mindset. So when people ask me this question, I usually I usually uh, confirm and I say, "You mean what do I do for money?" You mean how I make money? And they usually say yes, which kind of surprises me because I hope to like catch them in their tracks and realize that like maybe there's more interesting things to find out about somebody in the first few minutes than how they get numbers into their bank account. And I get that often what people what people's work is is informative about who they are and it's part of placing people in our social matrix. But um I think this question is we could do better. If you really need to know what somebody does for work, please ask them that. Please say, oh, I'm curious, like, what's your job? Or what do you do for work? And it's fine to want to know about somebody's money. Like, I think we're, we're curious about how people are making money because we want to know how that puzzle is solved in their life. But but maybe it doesn't need to be the first question, you know? Like, maybe we could ask something like, what are you passionate about? Or what do you most enjoy doing? Or what are you glad you're known for? 
yeah, so that's one of my uh, or least favorite questions. And so I just want to give those options. What are you passionate about? What's something you love doing? Um, Tell me about why you often ask. So if you meet somebody, they're probably in the same place as you or they're on the internet and you've connected through some common thread. So asking about that can be a great small talk starter. Like, oh, how long have you lived here for? And what brought you here? Like, what brought you here works in almost any context. It could even be like, what you brought you to this online conference thing? Or what brought you to this town? What brought you to this park? What brought you to this concert? And, and see where that goes. One of the other parts about questions is the basic of like a closed or an open question, a leading question or an open-ended question. And often we ask questions that prescribe uh, towards the answer. So for example, if you ask somebody, oh, are you happy about that? Uh, You're kind of implying that either they shouldn't be or they should be happy, but you've already implied the happy part. So in my opinion, a better, as in like a, uh, a more connective and a more nuanced and expansive question would be, how do you feel about that? Instead of prescribing like a yes or a no to whether they feel the certain emotion you're imagining. Even if you think it's pretty, pretty basic, like you, something that you imagine is sad has happened. And so you say, oh, are you feeling sad about that? Like, duh, they probably are. Uh, What about a question like, uh, how are you feeling about that? Because maybe they're feeling angry. Maybe they're also feeling happy and sad. Um, Or even to back up further and just ask, do you want to talk about that? Because sometimes, sometimes the questions are, are actually like an imposition and they're kind of pryy and the person just needs silence. So um, even to back up and say, like, ask if they want to be asked. <laughs> like, would you like me to ask you about this? Um, because cause then we just give way more um, agency. Questions are, like, they're like a dance between the two people. And, and there's power in both positions. There's power in the person who asks, and there's power in the person who answers. But... Um, to be aware of what what we might be implying in the questions, I think is really helpful in trying to get a handle on how to really hear the person that we're trying to connect with. If you ask your question in a way where you kind of like put the answer already in it, um, like, oh, are you feeling upset about that? Then you've already put upset into the space and and it might not be there actually so so the question how are you feeling about that or would you like to talk about that um is allows for the connection to be more true to what's happening instead of you just sort of like stuck a bunch of stuff in there uh another of my favorite questions this is not necessarily this is I guess it could be a small talk starter conversation, but my favorite time to ask it is at the end of a day that I've spent mostly with the same person. Um, If we've had quite a bit of the day together, um, 
and and it's sort of winding down towards the evening. Maybe you are like watching the evening light, or maybe where you're snuggled in bed. And I love asking the question, what was your favorite part of today? And somehow our favorite parts of today. And I love this question because it helps me know what the person really enjoyed and what they noticed. And especially if I'm trying to establish a longer relationship with somebody, then knowing what they enjoyed of the moments we spent together helps me know what was most meaningful to them, what I would want to repeat, what they noticed. Um, And sometimes the surprising things will come up. Like maybe, you know, maybe the moment when we went swimming was my favorite. And maybe their favorite was the conversation we had. Or maybe it was when we sang along to a song together. Like it, to try and just get a little window on a small moment that was there, a smaller than like, you know, not whole hours, but kind of a a slice of time that was their favorite helps me understand them more. So, oh, I'm closely related to this one is asking somebody what they enjoyed. What did you enjoy about that? If you've, if you know you've had a lovely experience together, it's nice to know what part of it they enjoyed and, or the converse, like what, what about that made you uncomfortable if you know that they felt uncomfortable? Or again, how did you feel about that? Um, these broad questions, something like, what was that like? Like maybe, maybe they're telling you in small talk, like, oh, and I grew up so in, in such and such a place, or, oh, I came here from this place, or I play this sport. And just the question, oh, what's that like? You're, you're inviting their experience. They're inviting them to share their experience. And by not putting, but you're not putting in what you imagine and like prescribing it. So for example, if, if somebody here said, oh, I grew up on the prairies and I asked, oh, that must've been boring. (laughs) Then I like, that's not a good, that's not a, a good response as in it's it's a closed response it doesn't establish connection it breaks the connection whereas if if somebody said i grew up on the prairies and i say oh what was that like it keeps the keeps the bridge building and then i might say oh i spent some time on the prairies i enjoyed this um yeah to to try and build that bridge as i'm saying this my hands kind of going like out and in towards me imagining this kind of almost like spiderweb threads getting woven and built back and forth between the people. Uh, Another question I find really helpful is, I've mentioned before in a podcast about how, how do I choose? How do I make decisions? And when people are making decisions together, they're trying to decide something to do out of options. Um, a question I find really helpful is, uh, do you feel strongly about that? Because sometimes one person will say their preference and the other person has the opposite preference. And in trying to come to a solution that both people enjoy, if you ask, oh, do you feel strongly about that? It really helps gauge how important it is. Because sometimes one person 
doesn't, they just sort of landed on a side, but it's not really that important. And it is really important to the other person. Do you feel strongly about it? Is a great question. I remember a few questions that people have asked me throughout my life that have been the kind of like last for longer. And one of them, I was about, oh, it was probably about 19. And I was in a strange uh, sort of like co-op college program. And my, my kind of like leader teacher person, I don't remember the context of what was going on around it, but he asked me, are you afraid of success? Are you afraid of success? And this question has just like kept circling around in my psyche and in my experience. And sometimes I'll, I'll just remember him in particular asking, are you afraid of success? And, and the answer is yes. Often the answer is yes, I'm afraid of success. I, I'm afraid of what that would mean for my relationships. I'm afraid of what, how I would be judged if I was successful at the things I want to be successful at. I'm afraid of how it would reorient my self-perception. I'm afraid of what my family would say. I'm afraid of not deserving it. I'm afraid of the strange sort of like backward ostracization because people would envy me my success. Um, there's a few of the answers that come to mind on that one. And yeah, are you afraid of success? And so I think of, of that question both because it's remained with me, but also because of the the remarkableness that a, a, a well-placed like poignant, tender question can last for a really long time. That one lasted like past, I'm hardly in touch with that teacher anymore. And I can't remember the context. I can remember almost nothing else in particular from that whole year of college other than that question. And I find that exciting in that, um, and a little bit humbling, like humbling about how much we can forget then also amazing in that I wonder I wonder if there's any questions I've asked somebody that I I'm not even in touch with them now and and yet the question remains which is related to another side note that I feel like dropping in here which is uh, so I dream I I remember nighttime dreams a lot which is a great another question if you wake up in the proximity to somebody Ask them if they had, if, do you remember any of your dreams? I think if we can develop our culture into one where talking about dream time is more prevalent, I think we've got lots to learn there. So ask, ask about, would you like to tell me about your dreams? Like nighttime dreams? That's a good question. And on that note, I've been thinking about how people from my past, like a long time ago, will resurface in my dreams. And I won't have, this happened a few nights ago. Somebody I haven't thought of in ages and like don't spend a lot of time thinking about appeared in my dreams, like clearly that character. And like, wow, like that was, that was kind of interesting and beautiful. And, and, and that people can stay in my psyche for so long and visit me in this dream world. 
And, oh, a note about language. I practice saying dream world and waking life instead of real world and, like, my dreams. I, I, because even though what we do when we're awake, we usually consider realer, I, I think it's, it shows our bias that for some reason we don't think our dreams are real, but they are real, like we are experiencing them and they're influential and they're coming from, you know, the, we are also experiencing them. So they're not like fake. So I distinguish between dream world and waking life. Uh, instead of saying that one of them is the real world. So in this magic for realists, in the real part, I also include my nighttime dreams. Okay, back to the other part. So I I noticed that these people can resurface after so long of not thinking about them. And lately I've wondered, like, that that must be true the other way around. There must be people who dream about, who, there must be people in whose, in whose dreams I appear and that I haven't seen in ages. Like I must be, something about my personality or my spirit must be visiting people in their dreams and I don't know about it. Like, that's kind of cool, right? Have you thought about that before? Like, they're, of all the people I've connected with, people in elementary school show back up in my dreams, which probably means that I'm appearing in other people's dreams that I haven't talked to in waking life for ages. Yeah, so just, Chew on that one, see how it feels. Okay, back to questions. Uh, oh, ask, the questions are also invitations. Um, invitations to participate. Invitations to join. And I, I love receiving invitations, especially ones that are... Um, that feel like I've been seen somehow, like that somebody has noticed something about me and and feels like they want me to share in something else. That, like, that's probably one of my favorite things to have happen. And the invitation to participate or to join somebody. Um, invitations also take, they take discernment because saying yes to every invitation uh, is, is also problematic. And so how can we learn to ask questions, to give invitations in a keen but not, um, not sticky, stringy way? How can we ask each other, uh, how can we put invitations into the connective space between people and not, not attach, um, like... If you don't do this, then consequences. Uh, how can it be actually an open invitation while also not being like not neutral? Like we care, we want the person to join us. We we have a hope, we have a desire to also put that there, but not have it be really attached. Um, something that I'm enjoying when it happens and thinking about. And so. I think the why I want to just leave you with a few of these questions and and hopefully get you thinking about questions is because they're a very common part of our speech and they are linguistic technology and connective technology that we use to talk to each other and navigate the world. And I just want to point out that 
the way that we ask questions really does influence the connection. And being careful on our timing and our wording and our energetic and our phrasing and our listening around questions is, it's sort of like an obvious but really useful way to improve the, our connections with people. To, and by improve, I mean ones that feel more, they feel better, that our bodies are more relaxed and authentic and connected. That those questions, questions can help us get there. And bad questions prevent us from getting there. Um, so I hope that this week you notice the questions that you're being asked and the ones that you're asking other people. The last part of this is that questions can can be in the kind of like in our in our life world greater space. So not just between people, but questions can present themselves in physical space or in our body or in um, our connection with the natural world. There's there's a huge question around like permeating my home hometown right now of drought it's dry it's been hotter warmer wait that's the same thing hotter drier weather this summer than um, we can remember in a while and in some cases ever and so the it's like the whole land is asking this question about when it's going to rain and what what plants can adapt to this and what water restrictions are helpful and the we're all living this question of drought there's also questions that can arise in in physical spaces of like how where does where do things want to go or be or move or furniture or use or squished space and it might not be a person asking you a question it might be your house asking you to clean it or asking you to rearrange it um it might be a physical space that's giving you a question and you might be able to phrase this into words or you might just feel the question. Um, and I, this, it, practicing phrasing questions open-endedly to each other is, is, like a, is like a small practice, small as in like not too complicated and kind of bite-sized, that I think sets us up better for approaching questions of life with a more open-ended, like multiple possibilities, creative, uh, evolving sense of what's possible. Because if we're used to being asked and asking each other more open questions, then we might be able to feel the open-ended questions around us. So, uh, for example, we might be able to feel the different possibilities that the drought presents instead of just one narrative of what that means. We might be able to feel the options within that huge question more than we could if we were used to prescriptive closed questions. So I like this because we can practice in a small way of how we ask each other questions and then it grows out to be a, a sort of like a posture of how we are with the world and how we understand the the universe or the gr the greaterness around us 
what questions it's asking of us. Um, yeah, and that in the circumstances we are facing, we can we can feel the question not as a kind of like interrogation, scary, closed in, like put on the spot with a like a on my hands getting in kind of this pointy shape, like as if you're being accused by the question. But we can start to feel the questions as invitations, as opportunities, as connective possibility, even when the questions are feel daunting or huge, that um, that there being an unanswered question can be something we are okay with, um, that we don't have to narrow to an answer all the time. So I hope that helps, and I am curious if if you had a favorite part of this episode, I'd love to hear about it. I really appreciate hearing back from you guys about and gals, you folks, um, but how how these messages land, uh, these podcasts messages, te- uh, voice voice thoughts land. Um, so I'm curious to know what your favorite part was. And if there's any good questions that you have been asked that have um, maybe influenced or uh, transformed your life or that just keep ringing around for you. If you'd like to be in touch, you can find me on Instagram at Magic for Realists or you can go to the website magicforrealists.ca and get in touch with me that way. Thank you for listening. And I hope that this week you find some magic in the real world. Bye for now.